Dear Father, as our hearts confess you, King of glory, would you teach us this morning from your word what it is to be obedient to your will. Amen. Please do take a seat. So, as I said at the beginning, we're um, in the fourth and uh, final week of our short August series on the prophet Elisha. Last week with Kenneth, we had Naaman, the Syrian commander, healed of leprosy, bathing seven times in the Jordan River. And this morning, we keep reading in 2 Kings 5, and the story continues with what I suspect is a less familiar passage. When they taught me Naaman the Syrian at Sunday school, they didn't do the second half of the story. And I think we'll find this morning, as a result, they did me a bit of a disservice, because it's important that we get both halves of this story, which is why I wanted to include it this morning. So as a roadmap of where we're going to go for the next few minutes, I'll first of all recap on the story from last week and this. Then we'll consider why it was so important that the prophet Elisha wasn't paid. And finally, we'll take a look at what we are to take from this business of Gehazi, the servant, becoming a leper himself at the end of the passage. Throughout our study of Elisha and similar narratives in the Old Testament, it's important for us to keep focus on what we're to get out of passages like this. And the key thing for us today that these passages teach us is not that we can become like Elisha, but rather what is it that we are to learn about God himself? What does this story tell us about the God whom we worship? And so as I go through this morning, that's where I'll try and keep my focus. So last week we heard how God himself gave the Syrian army military victory over Israel. And then how Naaman, the Syrian military commander with leprosy, came to Israel looking for healing. He was directed by the prophet Elisha to bathe seven times in the Jordan River. He was very reluctant to do so. But having been persuaded by those around him, he obeyed and his skin was restored. Now at the beginning of our passage this morning, as a result, Naaman recognizes that God, Yahweh, is the one true God. And in response, he wants to thank Elisha with a gift. And Elisha refuses. Naaman instead is permitted to take earth from the surroundings to go back to Syria and build an altar so that he can worship that true God rather than the local made-up God, Rimmon. However, spotting an opportunity for personal gain, Elisha's servant Gehazi chases after Naaman. 
He makes up some story which implicates Elisha, and as a result gains two talents of silver and two sets of fine clothing. On his return, Elisha condemns Gehazi's greed and deceit. And at the end of our passage, the leprosy which had afflicted Naaman comes upon Gehazi. As I read this story, it prompts two questions in my mind. First of all, why was it so important that Elisha declined the gift? Doesn't seem much harm in accepting a thank you present. What's going on there? And then even more what's going on there is the business with the leprosy coming to Gehazi. We'll look at each one in turn, and we'll look at what each of those tells us about God. So first of all, why did Elisha decline the gift? Naaman's gift is a thank you for what has happened. If Elisha had accepted that gift, it would have given the impression that he played some part in Naaman's restoration. And of course he didn't. It was all God's work. Last week, that's the point of Elisha not coming out of the tent. He plays no part in the restoration. It's all God's work, and God deserves all of the thanks. We sang that sentiment earlier on about all of our thanks and all of our praise is what God deserves. How much of the glory belongs to God? All of it does. And we must be careful not to give the impression that any person plays a part in God's work of restoration. It's all God's work, and he deserves all of the thanks. Secondly, then, we come to the question of Gehazi. And after his own personal act of greed and deception, contracting that leprosy which earlier on in the same day, Naaman had brought with him. Now, I think that on first reading, this is exactly the type of Old Testament passage which frightens the life out of most people. Leprosy as punishment. What on earth is God doing there? Well, to answer this question, we need to understand the place of leprosy in the Bible. And I kind of wish you could have all have been at St. Mark's about an hour and, quarter, an hour and a quarter ago. Um, it would be great if more people could be at St. Mark's because it would fill the church. But if you'd been there an hour and a quarter ago, you would have heard John make a really skillful exposition of Luke 17 and Jesus he- healing the ten lepers, only one of which comes back to thank him. You'll all know the story. 
John reminded me that there's actually quite a lot of leprosy in our Bibles. The key references for our interpretation are Leviticus 13 and 14. Two whole chapters of the Old Testament law are devoted to the subject. You'll be pleased to know we haven't got time to go into those in detail right now. So the important thing that we all need to know about lepers in the Old Testament is that they were excluded. They were banned from ordinary society. So in Leviticus, as the Israelites are wandering around in the desert for 40 years, those with leprosy are banned from the camp. They're outside of the camp. Later in the Promised Land, those with leprosy are excluded from the towns and the cities, and that's still the case in Jesus' time. In Luke 17, the lepers stand at a distance and shout to Jesus to have mercy on them. So in the Bible, as God calls a people to himself, in the Old Testament, in the people of Israel, those with leprosy are excluded they're banned, they're unclean, they're outside. There are a number of other occasions where Jesus restores people with leprosy. Earlier on in Luke, in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. Now the reason that I raise that one is that Luke 5, 12 to 16 comes straight after Luke 5, 1 to 11. And Luke 5, 1 to 11 is the little bit of the passage that I read as we were having our confession earlier on, where Jesus calls the first disciples, in particular Simon Peter, out of the fishing boat. Jesus calls Peter and the others, and he calls them to be fishers of men and women. And then do you see, immediately after he does that, in Luke's Gospel, what's the very first thing that he does after he calls Peter to be a fisher of men? Jesus goes and heals somebody with leprosy. So lepers are those outside of the people of God. And Jesus is saying that if you are going to be working with me as a fisher of men and women, you are called to all people, including those outside of the people of God, including those with leprosy. He shows Peter what to be a fisher of men and women is really about, and the size of the pond in which they are to fish. Now, back in our passage in 2 Kings, Naaman is a real, real outsider. In fact, he's twice an outsider. First of all, he's a Syrian army commander. He's a reviled Gentile. He is outside of the people of God. And then, on top of that, he has leprosy. He is unclean. He is banned from society. He is an outsider who is even further 
outside. In fact, in Old Testament terms, you couldn't get anybody who is further from the people of God than Naaman the Syrian. He is as far from God in the eyes of Old Testament Israelites as you could possibly be. And yet God restores Naaman. Just as later, Jesus shows in the gospel, nobody, nobody is too far away from God to be restored to his kingdom. If God will restore Naaman, he literally will restore anybody. It is all God's work, and nobody is beyond that work. That is the wonder of the Old Testament story of Naaman. But then, unlike at Sunday school, when we keep on reading, the leprosy which Naaman came with now afflicts Gehazi. The servant, the personal servant of the prophet, the man of God. Surely there is someone who is very close to God. Not quite the opposite of Naaman, but nearly you would have thought. Someone who's right in amongst the people of God. Someone who works alongside Elisha. Yet following his own personal act of greed and deception... Gehazi himself contracts leprosy. It is now he who is excluded from the people of God. Do you see now how the two of them fit together? The person who in our minds is furthest away could possibly be from the people of God by an act of God's mercy is restored the person who we might think of as being close to God, the lack of a regenerate heart shown by his own willful greed and deceit excludes himself from the people of God. Here are the two sides of the Christian gospel. Anybody who willfully rejects God and his ways to live, Gehazi would have been in receipt of all of the teaching of the time from the man of God, yet went after his own personal gain through means of deception. Such a person can exclude themselves from the kingdom of God. Yet our great hope is this. That the person who in Old Testament terms couldn't be further away, it would seem, from God's kingdom. Naaman the Syrian is wonderfully restored 
by the grace of God himself. And as we ponder this story in our own hearts through the rest of today and in the coming days, may God on our hearts write both sides of that gospel. And may we resolve to be those who are glad recipients of the grace of God, just as Naaman was. Amen.